We know from Scripture that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. Uh, he came and prepared the way for Christ to come. This morning we look at the forerunner of the forerunner, if we can put it that way. Elijah was kind of the, the forerunner of John the Baptist, because the Bible says that uh, John came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. How would you like to be a prophet? And so we turn to 1 Kings chapter 21, and we read verses 17 through 29. 1 Kings chapter 21, beginning at verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring evil upon you, and you will utterly sweep you away, and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free, in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger, and you have made Israel sin. Of Jezebel also the Lord has spoken, saying, The dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat, and the one who dies in the field, the birds of heaven will eat. Surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. And he acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the sons of Israel. It came about, when Ahab heard these words, that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Do you see how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that we have your word, we have your Holy Spirit to open our understanding to the truth of your word. And Father, we pray that You would guide us into your truth, Lord. We believe that your word is everlasting truth. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, uh, would be pleasing in your sight. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So how would you like to be a prophet? (laughs) There probably weren't many in Israel, in Old Testament Israel, 
who wished that one day God would call them to be a prophet. In many ways, it was a lonely life because you were called by God to proclaim a message that most people didn't want to hear. Now, doesn't that bring you joy? Lord, call me to be a man who proclaims what people don't want to hear. And this is why many who were called by God to be a prophet kind of questioned that and, and, and pushed back against that. We think of Moses. We think of Jeremiah. Lord, really, do you want me to be a prophet? Well, along comes this man by the name of Elijah. And what's interesting about Elijah is that we don't have any information about how he was called to be a prophet. He just kind of shows up. Usually we have, you know, some of the prophets, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so and called him. All of a sudden, Ahab, or Elijah shows up and he ends up challenging King Ahab on several occasions. And it got to be kind of a testy relationship, shall we say. Uh, not the best friends, were they? But we get a picture then of what it was like to be a prophet and perhaps what it's like to proclaim the Word of God in our day today. Huh? Maybe we're going to face some of the backlash that Elijah did when confronting Ahab as we endeavor to be faithful in our day to God's Word. So our text describes one of those confrontations that Elijah had with King Ahab. And there are three lessons I believe we learn about what it's like to be a prophet. Notice, first of all, a prophet confronts when it would be easy to run. A prophet confronts when it would be easy to run. The prophet Elijah and King Ahab, as I mentioned, didn't have a very good relationship. The first time they met, Elijah comes to Ahab in 1 Kings 17, verse 1, and he says, it's not going to rain unless I say so. And guess how long it didn't rain for? It did not rain for three and one half years. It wasn't just a minor couple of months drought. It was a significant drought. And so, as you can imagine, Ahab was not real pleased with Elijah. And he was trying to find him, and he could never find him because God would move the prophet around and protect Elijah. So the next time they met, First Kings 18, verse 17, Elijah comes to Ahab, and the first thing Ahab says, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? To which Elijah responds, he says, I, I'm not the one who's troubled Israel, but you have. You and your father's house have, because you've forsaken the commandments of God, and you're serving false gods, you're serving Baal. So, here's the third time he comes in our text. God says to Elijah, I want you to go down, meet with Ahab. He's in the vineyard of Naboth, where he's gone to take possession of, of it. And here's what I want you to say to him. A very positive message. Thus says the Lord, have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood too, even yours. Now, how would you like that mission? 
You are called to be a prophet, and you've got to go to this most evil king in Israel's history, and you've got to tell him, guess what? The, the dogs are going to be licking up your blood. How many would say, here am I, send me. <laughs> I would love to be that prophet to give that message to King Ahab. Uh, it probably would have caused you to say, you know what, I think I'll go the other way. I think I'll pull a Jonah, right? I'm not going to Ahab. I'm going the very opposite direction. Well, we see what happened earlier in the chapter, why Elijah confronted Ahab, because there was a man by the name of Naboth, and he had a vineyard, and the vineyard was close to where King Ahab lived. And Ahab wanted a vegetable garden. And so he thought, where could be a better place to have my garden than Naboth's vineyard? So he said to Naboth, I'll buy your vineyard. And Naboth had a very scriptural reason not to buy it. He said, this is the inheritance of my family. And there was clear instruction about that in the book of Leviticus. That land belonged to his, his family. And so he said, uh, no, I'm, I, I, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to sell it. So Ahab is pouting. And he goes to bed without supper. And he's laying in bed and Jezebel comes. And you know what Jezebel was like. She wasn't the most wonderful woman there ever was. And, and she said, I'm paraphrasing, aren't you the king? Aren't you the king? If you are the king, you can just take that. In fact, I'll get it for you. And so, we find out what she did in verse 8 of this chapter. She wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, as if it was him, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived in the city where Naboth lived. And she said, I want you to proclaim a fast. And seat Naboth at the head of the table. So it looks like, you know, he's just the one being honored. And then you bring in some worthless men and you accuse him that he cursed God and the king and then take him out and stone him. What a lovely woman she was, huh, Jezebel? So Ahab was guilty of murder. And when Elijah goes to meet him then, he's in the process of taking that land of Naboth's. And so Elijah then comes and greets him, right? Says, hello, how's it going? No, he didn't do that at all. And he said to him, in the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. Now, the sad thing about this is that there was no one in the town of Naboth to say, this is wrong. We are not going to do this. This is one of our fellow citizens, and you do not deserve that land. That land belongs to his family. But when Jezebel sent the letter in Ahab's name, we're told in verse 11, then the men of his city, the elders... And the nobles who lived in his city did exactly what Jezebel said. 
hired a couple of guys to come to the feast and falsely accused Naboth of cursing God and the king. And so they took him out and they, they stoned him to death. You'd think that there would be at least one person that would say, this is wrong. We cannot do this. We will not be a part of this. Naboth is being framed. We will not have anything to do with this. So that's why God then sent Elijah to confront Ahab. Now, as you think of the season of Advent, we're reminded of someone who was just like Elijah, and his name was John the Baptist. He confronted kings, didn't he? He confronted the religious leaders of his day. And he ended up paying a price for confronting those of his day who had sinned against God. Boldly proclaiming the truth of God's word in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now let me ask you a question. Who is, who is going to confront the evil of the day if we don't, right? We are called as believers in Jesus. We might not be prophets like Elijah or prophets like John the Baptist, but we are called to speak out against the evil of our day. Will we be friends with the culture? Will people say, thank you for telling me the truth? I don't think so. And the, the, the longer time goes on, the more it, it is likely to cost us in being a prophetic voice to the culture of our day. It is easier to run the other way, isn't it? It is easier just to say nothing. It is easier just to kind of let things go the way they're going. But I don't think that's what God has called us to do. We are involved in preparing the way for Jesus' second coming, right? And we need to be willing to confront when God makes that clear to us. A prophet confronts when it would be easy to run. Notice the second thing. A prophet is maligned when he should be thanked. Although Elijah had no personal knowledge of what had happened with Ahab, what he had done, certainly the Lord saw, the Lord knew, and so God sent him to Ahab. And when Elijah confronted Ahab, it's interesting to notice how Ahab responded. In verse 20, he said, Have you found me, O my enemy? Interesting how it progressed, because back in chapter 18, verse 17, Ahab called Elijah the, uh, a troubler of Israel. And remember, Elijah said, I'm not the troubler, you are. But now he calls Elijah my enemy. For Ahab, it had become very personal, wasn't it? Very personal. You are my enemy. Now, it's clear that Ahab didn't deny Elijah's accusation. It was true that Ahab had Naboth killed. He took his vineyard from him. But it's very obvious that Ahab did not want to hear the truth. Instead of seeing Elijah as a friend or as an ally who would turn him away from his evil ways... He said, oh, you're, you're, my, you're my enemy. 
You're not just the troubler of Israel. You are my personal enemy because you are daring to confront me. Reminds me of what Paul says to the Galatian church. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 16, he says, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now that's quite a question, isn't it? So I am your enemy because I have simply told you the truth? That's what's happening in our culture today. People do not want to hear the truth. They'd rather not know the truth than to have to face the truth. They would rather feel comfortable in their sin than to have someone tell them that this is wrong. This is wrong. This was common in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30, he describes the people in this way. Verse 9, he says, For this is a rebellious people. False sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, in other words, for the prophets, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Can you imagine that? Don't tell us what is right. Instead, they said, speak to us pleasant words, prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Imagine that. This this was the people of Israel. And they were saying to the prophets, We've had enough of this. We don't want to hear about the holiness of God. We don't want to know what is right. We don't want to hear the truth. We just want to live the way we want to live. Don't bug us. Don't bother us with this kind of a message. Is it possible that a culture can get that bad where people would say, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the truth. Amazing. Paul warns of this, doesn't he? 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Myths. What does it mean get your ears tickled? My dad used to, uh, in the morning, when we'd be up for breakfast, he had that little little way of just kind of pushing your buttons, you know. And so he would grab a knife, a butter knife, and put the handle side and just kind of flick your ear a little bit, you know. And teenagers, of course, you know, don't do that, you know. Just tickling ears. Well, that's not the kind of tickling we're talking about here. It's, tell me what I want to hear. Give me something smooth. Tell me how wonderful I am. Tell me how good I am and how thankful God is to have you on his team. You know, that is not the message that Elijah proclaimed. That is not the message that John the Baptist proclaimed. And that is not the message that we ought to proclaim. Yes, there's good news of salvation in Jesus. But people need to know that they need a Savior before the gospel will ever become precious to them. And Elijah, 
he was like my my grandfather, my dad's dad. My dad used to say that he didn't always have the best tact, but he certainly made contact. <laughs> Reminds me of Elijah. He just, I mean, he told, told, said it like it is. And if you proclaim the truth to those who don't want to hear the truth, you will likely get some backlash. You might be viewed as their enemy. I think of Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Remember how those men of the city came to want to have relations with the Lot's visitors? And, and he tells them, he says, Brothers, don't, don't act wickedly. And they said, stand aside. They were going to break down the door. And they said, this one came in as an alien. And already he is acting like a judge. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now we will treat you worse than them. In other words, how dare you judge us? How dare you confront us? How dare you say that what I am doing is wrong? And if you're going to tell me that, you are going to pay for this. That is the the kind of culture that we are living in today, isn't it? It used to be that we are to tolerate the sins of our culture, but now we are to approve it, we are to embrace it, and if we don't, guess what? We are the enemy, right? We are the problem. And we will pay a price for it in one way or another. It could be legally, it could be with violence, it could be with uh, words. But in some way, going to pay. Now God was obviously giving Elijah strength to stand up against the king. I mean, Ahab was a powerful man. He was an evil man. There were already prophets that had been uh, killed. And this man now was calling Elijah his, his enemy. But Elijah did, he was undaunted by that. He, he didn't say, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm sorry, I maybe shouldn't have said that. He was very clear in the message that God had spoken to him. And he not only said something about what would happen to Ahab, but he also said what was going to happen to Jezebel, verse 23. He says, of Jezebel also the Lord has spoken, saying the dogs will eat Jezebel in the district of Jezreel. Again, not the most positive message in the world. The one belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And the one who dies in the field, the birds of the heavens will eat. And then the writer of 1 Kings makes this comment about Ahab, verse 25. He said, surely there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, incited him. He acted very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the sons of Israel. Did you catch that phrase? He sold himself to do evil. Twice it's mentioned, verse 20, verse 25 which would indicate that this was a deliberate choice. This was something he knowingly and willingly became a slave of sin. 
And as a result, the writer says there was no one as bad as he was. So that's the kind of guy that Elijah was, was sent to. What a, what a challenge. And how God in his mercy and grace and power enabled Elijah to be faithful to God's word. When it would have been easy to run, he was faithful. Dr. M. R. DeHaan, who some of you remember from years ago, our Daily Bread devotionals, his son talks about how he was maligned for the truth. His son Richard said, Dad wasn't perfect. He had his faults. Some people would even call him stubborn. That's a word for those who have convictions, right? Who stand on the Bible. Oh, you're just stubborn. You... But he was a man of the word. He was a man of courage. And, and Richard, his son, said, My father went home to be the Lord on December 13th, 1965. Yet I can recall his words to me on one occasion as if he had said them only yesterday. He said, accenting his statement by pounding his fist on his desk, he said, Richard, I don't care if the whole world differs with me. I must be faithful to proclaim God's truth. We need more men like that today, don't we? We're willing to say, I don't care if the whole world differs with me. I don't care if the whole world is against me. I must remain faithful to God. And that was Elijah. That was John the Baptist. And that's what God would call us to be as well. There's something a little more encouraging at the end here. Notice thirdly, a prophet is content when he trusts that the results belong to God. So in light of all that we know about Ahab, we might think that he would have had nothing to do with Elijah's message this time. First he was a troubler of Israel, and then he was the enemy of, of Elijah. And... Um, Well, look what happened. Quite amazing. Verse 27. It came about when Ahab heard these words that he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. And he lay in sackcloth and went about despondently. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite saying, Do you see, Elijah, do you see? how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but I will bring the evil upon his house in his son's days. Who would have thought that Ahab would have responded in this way? Knowing the history of Elijah and Ahab, you would think that by now, Ahab says, stone the man to death, kill him. But God used the message of his word to humble this evil king. And God had to say to Elijah, do you see this? (laughs) Look at what happened to Ahab. Who would have ever thought that Ahab would have humbled himself before God? Jezebel, his wife, would she have ever thought that would happen? 
I bet he got an earful from her that day, right? What on earth are you doing humbling yourself before this God? Or think of the people of Israel hearing what happened with this evil king. Think of what Elijah thought. He must have been shocked. He must have been so surprised if someone would have told him, Elijah, when you proclaim this message that the dogs are going to lick the blood of Ahab, he is going to humble himself before God. He would have said, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be crazy. But you know what? God, God is able to do things in people's lives that really do amaze us, don't, don't they? You think of in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus, who would have thought that this man who was persecuting the church would meet Jesus on the road to Damascus and his life would be forever transformed, forever changed. Uh, someone has said that uh, so-and-so is a hard nut and the response was, well, the Lord's in the nutcracking business, huh? I mean, He is able to, to transform lives in some amazing ways. The preaching of Elijah did something to that king that day, and Elijah was able to witness it. But as you think of what happened here, it's, it's important to remember that this, this was probably the exception to the rule with the prophets, right? Because by and large, I think of Jeremiah, for example, was there fruit for his ministry? Was there huge numbers of people that were coming to the Lord? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. In fact, here's how he describes it. Jeremiah 20, verses 7 and 8, he said, I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For every time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction, because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. How do you go through all of those years of ministry? Wasn't Jeremiah's ministry about 40 years long? Constantly proclaiming the truth of God's word, and all he got was mockery, and maligning and persecution and thrown into a cistern. I mean, it was just like... I mean, if these guys were in ministry because they were looking for results, they would have quit a long time ago. Which is a lesson to us. We are not in ministry because we're looking for results. If that's our goal, if that's our desire, if that's what keeps us going, it's only the numbers we can count, the results that we can see, we're in trouble. Our calling is to be faithful to the Word. And guess what? Who is responsible for the results? God is, right? First Corinthians 3, Paul says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? He answers the question by saying, Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. 
We're just jars of clay. That's all we are. But God who causes the growth. And I'll tell you what, that is such a liberating passage to me. A liberating passage. There's something wonderful, a wonderful sense of peace when we lay hold of this truth that we don't carry the burden of producing results. That belongs to God. And we are simply called to be faithful to the Word of God. If Elijah was looking for results, he didn't see a whole lot. Or Jeremiah, or other prophets. But they believed that God had given them a word to share, and they were responsible to Him. And whether they saw amazing results or not, they continued to faithfully proclaim God's word. When I step into this pulpit every Sunday, I don't know what's going to be the result. I can't see into people's hearts. I don't know. Sometimes you see visible fruit, and we certainly rejoice in that. But if we rely on that to, to keep going, we are, we are in trouble. God will accomplish what He desires through His Word. We have the privilege and the responsibility to share it. And we leave it there. Content that God will accomplish through His Word what He desires. It will not return empty, Isaiah says. It will accomplish the purpose for which He sent it. So let me ask you again, would you like to be a prophet? Guess what? If you know Jesus, you are called to proclaim His Word. Maybe you're not an official office of a prophet or a pastor or a missionary, but we have that opportunity, we have that privilege day by day to share the Word. And there are times when we might feel like running from our commission, going the opposite direction. And maybe we'll be maligned for for what we share. But we leave it at the feet of the Lord. We proclaim His Word and say, God, would you use this? Would you take this Word, bring about conviction of sin, and bring about a real trust in Jesus that others may come to know Him as Savior and Lord? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our, our day today needs... So, so desperately, men like Elijah, men like John the Baptist, men like the Apostle Paul, who are willing to proclaim the truth of your word, Lord, regardless of the results or the cost. And so fill us, Lord, with the spirit and the power of Elijah as we proclaim to a world that needs to hear about Jesus that one day He is coming again. One day they will stand before Him. And our only hope lies in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Lord, empower us, we pray. We have a story to tell to the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.